I'm so glad that I know today that mercy is a person. It's not just a subject matter that's not to discuss, but he's a real living person. Aren't you glad you know him in that way today? If we ever really learn to know him beyond just going to church and beyond picking up a Bible and reading it occasionally and singing a few religious songs, but we know him and that his life actually enters into us. We become the expression of eternal life. Then we will move beyond the knowledge of John 3.16. Then we will actually start moving into an understanding of 1 John 3.16. Let's read about it today, shall we? Let's start off with 1 John chapter 4, verse 16 this morning. I greet you in the name of the Lord. It's a great privilege for us to be together in the house of God and where we can come together and worship and sing and pray and hear prayer requests and hear testimonies and then the breaking of the bread of life to be able to understand the hour that we're living, that we can have a greater understanding of the Lord. For many people going to church, it's like they enter into kindergarten and they never really go beyond the preaching of the cross and the preaching of heaven and the preaching of hell. But whenever I went to school, that's been a long, many years ago, of course, but whenever I went to school, if they would have still been teaching me the same thing in the 10th grade that I learned in the first grade, I would figure there's something bad wrong somewhere. Well, if that's just so with education, then what about an understanding about God? I want to know more than just that he came to the world to save me. I know that already, okay? I'm 67 years old. I've been saved since I was 12. Been preaching since I was 18. So I want to know more than that God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son. I believe that. I've experienced that. But I want to know also more that there's a heaven to gain, as we say, and a hell to shun. I've known that since I was a little bitty guy. I want to know more. And I want to experience more. You see, the Greeks, whenever they took the word for knowledge, they used it in the form of gnosis. But for the Hebrews, whenever they talked about knowledge, to them it was more than what you knew up here. It was something that you knew by experience. So you actually had experienced something and you furthered your knowledge by what you had experienced. That's what I believe true Christianity is. Now notice John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. Remember, he was referred to as the apostle of love. So he had a depth and a degree of love that uh, some of the other apostles actually never did actually have, which lets us know that there will be people in Christianity today that can actually experience a greater love than others can. Notice how John says this. And we have known and believed. Now again, he uses the word known as an experience. So it's not like that they knew it just up here. We have known and believed, and the Greek word is sozo, which is faith, to be able to touch God for what you have need of. We have known and believed 
the love that God hath sent or hath to us. God is, say it with me. God is love. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God. I want you to notice how that John places this. So a person doesn't just experience the love of God. God saves them. God pardons them of their sin. And then they go right back to the same life they come out of and start dwelling in the same stuff again. But John puts a differentiation between those who just come to a saving knowledge of the Lord and those that move into the sphere of love, into the land of love. He that dwelleth, look at the meaning of the word, Greek word meno, abide, remain, continue to remain, not to depart, to continue to be present, not to become another or different. So a person then moves into the land of love, which is eternal life. He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. So God is love and to live in fellowship with him is to live in God. He who then is love, full of the love of God will also love his brother. He will hate no man. He that hateth his brother is in darkness and no light is in him at all. How many believes we all need more of the love of God? Amen. How many would like to be remembered today as we pray? Brother Lou, did you mention about Brother Bill being in the hospital? Okay. All right. We want to remember Brother Bill Yance, Brother Jack had texted me this morning and said that Brother Bill was in the hospital or in the ER vomiting up blood. So we certainly want to remember our brother today. Um, if you have a need and request, you just hold it in your heart. Let's just bow our heads in the presence of God. Heavenly Father, we certainly appreciate your grace to us today. I pray, Lord, that you would open up this realm of fear, also the realm of love to us. We know that John said, he that feareth is not made perfect in love. So may we be able to see this realm of fear that we're all born in and see that it is one of captivity, one of limitation that will never allow us to be what you want us to be if we don't somehow move out of that land of fear where it controls us every day, every night. Lord God, if we could move from the land of fear today into the land of your all-consuming love, what people we would become. That's our desire. We ask you, Father, that you'd be mindful of the sick and needy. You see, Lord, this handkerchief that I have in my hand, we know according to the Bible that they took cloths from the body of Paul and people were healed and demons went out of them. People were set free. I'm certainly not him, of course, but you're still the same Jesus. So I'm gonna preach with this prayer cloth today in my pocket for Sister Lona. You see, Lord, the sickness and things she's been dealing with. Satan, in the name of Jesus, I adjure you by the living God. Come away from our sister. May every attribute of this leave her body in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, may the presence of God come here today. May you take charge of this service. May every thought be brought into obedience to Christ. May not only the master of the wind, 
but may you be the master of this service today. Help me that I can get out of the way and surrender myself, that you can speak through me, Father. For it's in the name of the Lord Jesus we ask it. And the saints said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. We know that God is the highest and the purest form of love. And yet there's all different degrees of love. It becomes so low it can become filthy, ungodly, perverted, twisted. But the highest form is our Father. Truly, he wanted to express what he was, and he started doing it in the beginning. John goes a little further in the advancement of the beginning than what Moses was allowed to write when God began to express himself. And Moses says that God, in the beginning, created the heavens and the earth. But then we wonder, but what was before the beginning? It's clear to see from Genesis 1 that Moses did not catch it before it was the element of time. But John was able, and John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same as in the beginning with God, and he goes on to express to us what the Word really was. And in verse 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The Old Testament could never be able to convey the real true person of God because the law limited that expression of what God was. So what they knew God was was in the manner of thou shalt and thou shalt not and thou shalt and thou shalt not. The prophets were the justice of God. So God would send them and they'd say, thus saith the Lord, this is gonna happen to you and that's gonna happen to you. If you don't straighten up, God's gonna send you to Babylon. If you don't do this, God's gonna get you and this is gonna happen. They could never really be able to understand the love of God. The law limited the expression of it. Moses saw him one day when he was set in the cleft of the rock. And God said, you cannot see my face. No man can see my face and live. But there is a place by me and I will set you in the cleft of the rock. And when I pass by, I will move my hand and then you'll be able to see a little bit of my glory. But you can't see me. So the mystery of God was kept hidden, plumb up into the New Testament. Until one day a baby was born. A virgin, according to Isaiah, would conceive and bring forth a child. His name shall be called Counselor, Prince of Peace, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. And of his government, there shall be no end to it. People looked at him and thought he looked just like any ordinary baby. Cried like a baby. Had to have his diaper changed like another baby. He would cry whenever he'd get hungry. No doubt as a little boy, as he learned how to walk, he would fall and bump his head. and Mary would run over to him and that would be little Jesus with a little pump knot on his head and he'd cry and Mary would pick him up, hold him in her arms, look like a baby, cried like a two-year-old, look like a four-year-old, acted like a six-year-old. But when he got up to 12, they noticed there was a difference in him. They found him in the temple And he was actually expounding on the law and confounding the doctors of the law. Now, many of them men were 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years old. They'd given their entire life studying the Torah of God. 
Here was a 12-year-old boy that was asking them questions and answering their questions, a 12-year-old boy, which had just recently, of course, come through his bar mitzvah, which meant that he was allowed the first time to read the Torah and hold it himself the first time. So he read that and he had this understanding. They, they couldn't understand it at all. How could a 12-year-old boy which just now started reading the Torah be able to answer such questions and ask us such questions that we can't even answer ourselves? Now, no doubt they were very impressed because they were men of the mind instead of men of the heart. You know, we find them two categories the same today. There are people of the mind and people of the heart. The people of the mind, they're the ones that tend to lead toward you know, great degrees in college and great understanding about this. There's that way, the same way in religion, that there will be people and they wouldn't dare go to a church unless the pastor, of course, had a, a Bachelor of Arts and maybe a master's degree and a degree in theology and a degree in this and that and the other. And he would stand and he went through preacher school. He knew exactly how to fold his hands and make all fingers go together. He was so neat and so prim and proper. Um, naturally, that don't go along with who we are because we're the Acts 2 type of people. And I'm afraid neither Peter, James, Parr, Bartholomew, Andrew, none of the rest of the apostles, none of them ever graduated from Bible school. But they did graduate from the school of neology and the school of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So that's the kind of church we are. Now, but God wanted to be able to convey something that man had been so far away from since his fall in the Garden of Eden, and that was the perception of the depths of the love of God, what God was. So if God is love, what does that mean? So God, God just lets everybody do whatever they want to do because that's the modern rendition of what people think love is. Well, if you love people, you just let them do whatever they want to do and nobody corrects nobody, you know, because that's the age we're living in and our woke society that you can't say anything that hurts anybody's feelings. Well, the truth of it is, if you're going to tell the truth, you're going to hurt almost everybody. And some people want the truth and most don't. But there's no way you're going to be able to really stand with God without hurting somebody's feelings. Is that right? So God wanted people to be able to not only know him by love as far as picking up his word and being able to read it, but he wanted them to be able to experience this type of love. Now watch again 1 John 4, 17, how that John says, herein is our love made perfect. Now I want you to notice how he differentiates this between the love of God and our love. So he calls this our love. Herein is our love made perfect. Now we looked at the word already, the Greek word, which is teleos, and it does not mean that it is flawless without fault, but it is perfect here is of mature age. It's grown up love. So it's love to where that it has been brought through tests and trials and storms and things of life. Now John said, herein is our love made perfect. So it wasn't given to us whenever we received the Spirit of God. Our love was not given to us in the perfect format or the complete mature format. Started out really, really green, really, really immature, really incomplete in itself. Yet it was in seed form. So everything that it could ever be laid in the potential. So say I would hand you an acorn. Well, it depends on how you look at that acorn. 
Now, if you look at it just in the form that it is, you say, what could I ever do with that? Well, you could give it to a squirrel, and a squirrel could eat it for breakfast and for lunch, and that would probably be as far as it would go. Or you could plant it in the ground, and then out of that one would come many, many more acorns. They would fall to the ground. The squirrels would get them, bury them. They only recall around 60-some percent of where they bury them. So what God did that by nature so that they would help plant the forest again. So then they will come up. Out of that will come another. Out of that will come another. And before long, you have got a whole big forest there of either red oaks, pin oaks, white oaks, black oaks. And who was the one who planted them there? They come from the sea. So it's the same way with our love when we receive the Spirit of God. We receive this little thing about the size of a button. So whenever that button comes inside of us, it's so immature, it's so green, it's so ignorant, yet it's truly the love of God. And it starts growing and it gets bigger and bigger and the more that it can grow, the more of God can be expressed in our life. Now, I'm not sure exactly where you are today. Maybe some of you are about the size of this lid. Maybe some of you is the size of the bottle. Some of you may be the size of the pulpit. Probably some of you think you're as big as the whole wide world. I kind of doubt that, but maybe that's what you think you are. But it continues to grow. You say, when does it stop? It doesn't stop until you're finished in this life. And once you get up to that spot, then you've reached that place that God, and if you'll notice the way God takes his children from the earth, some may mature at the age of 40. The work is done. He'll pull them from the earth. Others may live to 60 or 65 or even 70. It might take them an extra 20 years to be able to come up to what God wants them to be. Once they ripen, they mature, they could grow no farther if they lived here another 150 years. He will, he will take them in the harvest cycle into the sixth dimension and there they will embrace their theophany. Some may go while they're yet in their teens, but each one of us will reach our spiritual growth in God in different levels. That's what makes the rapture such an awesome thing because on the earth, there will be a group of people all over the entire earth and they will be maturing along in the same cycle. Maybe some have been serving God for 80 years and God will deal with them and there may be somebody that just got saved six months ago, they got filled with the Holy Ghost and they're growing with God. They'll come up to their spot and all of a sudden a sweep will come over the entire earth and every member of the bride of Christ will be changed just like that. All of us will come to that plane of maturity. Now, there may be some that'll be there a month or so before others. Can you imagine when the high priest leaves his position before the altar of God for however long, five minutes, a day, a week, who knows how long it'll be. He will change his garments from the order of Melchizedek in the priesthood and the bride on the earth will be in that state of completion. She will not need a mediator before the throne of God. Hasten the day, Lord Jesus. Now remember John being the apostle of love, that he had an insight into the love of God. Now I know you know that God made the body, the spiritual mystical body in such a way that there would be preachers, there would be deacons, trustees, singers, housewives, all different types of people. And it doesn't mean that God loves the preacher any more than, than he loves you. And it doesn't in one sense of the word mean that he has any more of the Holy Ghost than you, but God calls him to do a gift that's different than your work. But yet each of us grow in the love of God. Are you still growing, Brother Donnie? I sure hope I am. I hope I've not reached a spot to where I don't grow no more. I want to know more about him every day of my life. 
I told Carol this week, since the Lord taken our daughter just a little over two months ago, I love the Lord Jesus after this experience now more than I've ever loved him in my life. I trust him more now than I ever have in my life. Now, I'm so grateful for that because I know some people when the Lord will take a loved one and they're praying that God will spare them and God takes them, they tend to love the Lord less and they tend to trust him less. But I'm so glad it didn't have that effect on me. How many knows what I'm talking about? Now, what will it do? The tests and the trials of life, if we will function and let them go in the right way, it'll actually make us better people. It will deepen our love. Now, this is one way that you can know that your love is getting deeper in God because your love for one another will also deepen. So people who think they're more in love with God and yet like people less, there's something wrong with their perception of love. Notice John said, herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. You see what perfect love does? It paralyzes dominating fear in your life. Now what mortal would want to stand before Almighty God and there's not a perfect one here and there's never been but only one that ever lived on the earth and that was the Lord Jesus. But yet John makes this love that it will give us boldness when we stand before the throne of God. And this is the reason why. Because as he is, as he is, present tense I am, because as he is, so are we in this world. Now, when we enter into the state of perfect love, now again, it's not flawless or sinless, but it is reached, it has reached its place of spiritual development that it is complete in Christ Jesus. And this is what Paul was talking about in the book of Colossians chapter two. Now, remember, in its development, it may take years and years, but love is like every other grace of God. Remember, the graces of God are different than the gifts of God. So we have tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirits, all of that. But those are gifts of God. But love is not necessarily just a gift of God. It is a grace of God's nature. You see, in the land of the sixth dimension, nobody there has discerning of spirits. There is nobody there speaking in tongues. There is nobody in the sixth dimension that is prophesying. There is nobody praying for the sick. But every one of them are living and have moved into the land of perfect love. So even though we will have gifts in this life and we will use those gifts for the glory of God, gifts are only temporal. That's why I don't understand when people focus so much on gifts and they focus and push and push and push on gifts and yet they don't push on perfect love. I I, I don't understand that. One day gifts will be done away with. Praise the Lord. There will be no prayer lines in heaven. There will be no doctors. There will be no need of that. Now, once you notice then, so in its development, love like the other graces of God, that it grows and it grows and it grows. And the measure that God has given for each of us to attain to, the worst thing you can do is try to be like this man, this woman, that man, that woman, and that is your standard. Don't make them your standard. You want to go to God and say, God, what is the standard for my life? Now, I hope this don't confuse you. But I want you to listen to this. The prophet said it this way. Jesus, led by the Spirit, went up to Samaria and sent all of his disciples to get away, or he said to go get victuals in the city. 
That was when John got angry with them because they wouldn't sell him anything to eat. Now, you remember reading this in the Bible and wanted to burn the city up. Now, this was John, the beloved disciple, but later he became the disciple of love. So John started out with this real attitude. So they went into the city to buy some victuals and the people wouldn't sell Jesus nothing to eat. So John got so mad and so upset that he wanted to call fire down out of heaven and destroy the whole place. Now probably if we would have been there on that day, we'd have looked at him and said, poor old feller, there ain't no hope for him, are there? Look at that temper, Lord have mercy. He'll never amount to a hill of beans, would he? By that poor old guy. Little did, would you and I have known, maybe even little that John knowed that he would be later termed the disciple of love. Now the type of love I'm preaching to you about this morning is a love that is beyond what any human being on this earth can ever produce by themselves. God sets the standards so high. There is no theologian. There is no mother, no matter how much she loves you. There is no father. There is no human being that can ever attain to this high place of love. God sets the standards so high that it eradicates all of our human ability to ever arrive there. There's only one way we'll ever experience it. The person of love through the act of John 3.16 will so infill our lives with his own presence. He makes us a permanent resident in the land of love. There we take up our dwelling place and there we live for the rest of our life. We then are transformed from being the recipient of just the love of God of John 3.16 till we become the expression of 1 John 3.16. Now, I want you to notice again that he says, and faith is the substance. A look at Peter when he was walking by while he was a mortal, born of sinful flesh, just like I or you. That's right. But the people had a need of a healer. Listen to this carefully. They had a need of a healer, and God sent Peter to do that specific work. Now, I want you to notice they needed a healer, and God sent Peter to do that specific work. But he said, John was love. Peter didn't have the love in his heart that John had. And yet Peter was a beloved apostle. You agree with that? Peter was a beloved apostle. But remember, he was so different than John. Isn't it amazing that John was the one that leaned over on Jesus' bosom? And John identified himself in the book of John, of course, as that disciple whom Jesus loved. And he also identified himself as that disciple who loved Jesus back. So there was something special between John and Jesus. It was a spiritual endowment from God that none of the rest of the apostles ever had. Now, Peter was the significance of God expressed in the form of faith. But John was the disciple of love. Now notice he said Peter didn't have the love in his heart that John had. John was God's, oh listen to this term, John was God's agency of love. Wow, wouldn't that be awesome to be identified by God? But wonder why most of us would prefer Peter's walk? Wonder why even with preachers, 
that you find most preachers would rather that what they do and the way they're used is more visible in front of people instead of being behind the scenes. Praise the Lord. You ever notice it? It's the three vocal gifts in the, in the book of Corinthians that most people want. Tongues, interpretation, prophecy. Wonder why it's those three vocal gifts that most humans want. Wonder why it's the gifts that people want, they want other people to know that they're gifted in that way. So they speak in tongues or they interpret or they prophesy and they want it to be done before the audience so people will know they've got that gift. You know what they're lacking? What John had, love. You see, real love does not have to be catered to. Real love does not have to be in the limelight, as we say. Praise the Lord. Y'all gonna be quiet on me this morning, aren't you? You see, real love is the type of the love of God that whenever you reach its completion and maturity in you, that if God wants to use you for a great work, and hardly anybody ever even knows you've got it. Real love says, Lord, praise God. If that's what you want from me, Lord Jesus, if nobody even knows what I do for you, if nobody even knows I help this person and I do that for that person and that person, oh, I'm glad God's got people like that. I know he does because there's people sitting here that's that way. But yet for the flesh, for most people, they would rather do something that people would look at them. And people would know, you know, like Peter, oh, hallelujah, walk down there and say to the man at the gate, beautiful, do you believe? Yes, I believe. Such as I have, give I thee. Reach down and grab a hold of him by the hand. And that man go off running and jumping and leaping. Glory to God. I went down there, hallelujah. I went down there and I laid hands on him and God healed him. But how many wants to be the disciples of love? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Notice John was God's agency of love. You see, look here, when you're taking Peter, James, and John, hope, faith, and charity. Don't you see those gifted people, them three, the hope, faith, and charity? Hope was in James. He was the one to set the church in order. The one that set the church in order. Faith was in Peter. Charity was in John. So here was God's representatives on the earth. Now you can imagine then that Peter, there was an element about him that looked at John and thought, I wish I had more love. I wish I had more love. Anybody ever do that besides me? To where you look at this person and say, wow, I, I wish I had more. I wish I had more like that. Then there's others and they just seem like they've got such faith. You know, Brother Bram talks about Jack Coe. And how that Jack Cole had that dynamic face. Y'all have heard of Jack Cole, right? So Jack Cole would have an anvil on his pulpit whenever he would preach over to the side sitting on a table. People come up with glasses. People come up with different impairments. If they would come up on a crutch, Jack Cole would take it. I've got a picture of him. Whenever he would take that crutch and take that crutch and go break it right across his leg. So you either walked or crawled back to your seat. Now he had that type of what was termed bulldog face. You come up with glasses, I hope you had a second pair had face one, cause he had a hammer laying there and he would take his hammer and bust your glasses all to pieces. And a, a great percentage of the people got their healing and of course many of them maintained their healing. Yet 
that didn't work for everybody. Now, there was other people that tried to do that and they didn't have very good success with it. But yet God just simply used the man in that type of evidence. But it's amazing how people will capitalize on that and they look at it and say, oh, that's what I wanna do. That's what I wanna do. I want people to think of me that way. It'll never happen to you unless God wants you to be that way. And the worst thing we can do is try to impersonate somebody else and say, well, I really like that. That's a type of person. No, you don't do that. You go to God and say, God, but what do you want me to be? What do you want me to be? Do you want me to be a person that will be there and everybody will look at and all that? Oh, if you are, God will equip you for all of that and God will equip you for the downside of all that because there's a great downside that comes with it. And God will give you the ability to be able to do it. You know, the prophet said, if a man claims that he's a teacher, watch how he interprets the word. It's easy to see that a lot of preachers are not really called of God because they make the office mess ever was out of the word. When they put it together, it's an absolute mess of what you got. So their supposed gift being expressed shows you they're not what they're called to be. So it's the same with a man that says he has great gift of healing and faith. And whenever he prays for people and nobody gets well, well, there's a problem with that somewhere. Is that right? But you imagine then with John, John may not have had near as many miracles. But John worked in the realm of love. Even when he was 90-something years old and they would bring him in a little cot type of thing to the church at Ephesus and John was too old to preach, he couldn't get up so he would just lay there and they say he'd just raise his hands, just lay there and weep and say, little children, love one another. You imagine being around John, it was like a dynamo that just projected from his being. And this love was just created out of the resource of the soul of this man. And other people would have got around and said, oh my, what an awesome thing. But I wonder how many Johns that there really were. How many were there that ever entered into that depth of love? But yet Peter actually reached a state of perfect love. But his degree and his intensity may have never been what John's was. And John may have never done the miracles that Peter did. And James, of course, we know James. You read the little book of James. It's easy to see that James never did really even understand in the fullness the Gentile bride. James was a Jew. And James leaned toward the Jewish custom and leaned toward the church in Jerusalem. You never find James going to Babylon. You never find James going to Cappadocia. You never find James going out on a great missionary work. You never find James having the love in his heart for the Lord Jesus that John did. So whenever you and I set our goals of what we're going to be for God, don't use another man, another woman, another person as your standard, but go to him who brought you on the earth and say, what do you want me to be? Notice how John now, as he goes on in verse 18, and he said, there is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casteth out fear. Now remember, John is not talking about all fear. If you notice him, he does not say all fear. The fear of God should always be in our hearts as long as we are immortal. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, right? Solomon said also, and the beginning of wisdom. So there should always be a reverential fear in our heart for God. Hold on tight now. There should also be a reverential fear 
of men of God inside of our hearts. When you lose that, then you will no longer respect God's offices. You see, those who lose the reverential fear that God places for people to have a prophet and his word, then they take those words and they cut them and they splice them and they dice them and they leave them out. You know why? They lost their fear of that office. But God tells us in the Old Testament, if I send you a prophet and what he says comes to pass, then you fear that man. The love of God will not take that type of fear out of you. Now, let me just show you a few of these. Whenever it comes to the angels in heaven, the angels of God, we know there's categories of angels, of course, there's cherubims, seraphims, zooms, and, and the sacrifice burners and all that. But the angels of God that are of God's eternal essence, we know there's some angels that were created and they were given the choice a lot like we are in the sense of free moral agency. And those are the ones that was able to fall with Lucifer in the beginning. But there are angels that did not fall because they could not fall. So they issued out of the eternal essence of God's being, not so much coming into existence and time, but just another expression of himself. And you and I are part of that, of course, that representation. So Paul wrote about the elect angels. So there are angels that are elect and there are angels that are created for the purpose to reflect the contrast in light and darkness. You follow what I'm saying? Now with that, those angels that are the elect angels, do you understand they have never experienced fear? They don't know what fear is like. They, they, they don't fear God. The, all they know and all they've experienced is love. Ever since they came in to their own individual expression, none of the elect angels of God have ever been afraid. So they would walk before the throne of God and they would tremble and shake and be afraid. They've never experienced that. So all they've known is walking and living in this presence of perfect love. So when the other angels, non-elect, was able to make their choice to leave with Lucifer and the dragon threw his tail up there and drew that third part of the stars, and when they did that, these angels did not go. Neither would they feel the fear whenever Jude talks about those angels that are kept in prisons of darkness. When the angels of God in heaven today when they hear about that scripture being preached, those angels don't become afraid. You understand? The angels of God that are elect do not become afraid when they know angels one day will be annihilated because that scripture is not talking about them. But they don't do that out of fear. This is the way many people serve God. They're scared to death of God. It's like God is looking for an excuse to get you. And if you make one mistake, he's waiting for you to mess up. Boy, he's gonna get you. That's not the God of the Bible. That is not the heart of God projected to us in the New Testament. He loves humanity. He healed many people that he knew would never serve him. But that's the love of God. So the angels are in heaven, they have already experienced what the folks that move into the sixth dimension go to experiencing when our loved ones pass beyond time. And they move into that realm and when the prophet went there, remember what they kept telling him, this is perfect love, this is perfect love. But he hadn't made the connection before the visitation, so he preached perfect love. Back in the 50s, he called it divine love. And he kept calling it divine love and perfect love. And then he changed the way he would pronounce it a little bit and lingered more toward the phraseology of perfect love. 
And then whenever he got there, they told him, this is what you preached was the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Ghost then was perfect love. Well, when you get the Holy Ghost, how do you get it? Do you get it all in one great big baptism initially? And then whenever you get it, you're a full grown son? Now we know that God never created Adam as a wee little baby. So whenever God created Adam, he created him an M-A-N, a man. So God never created a little baby boy and that little baby boy was laying there in the Garden of Eden kicking and screaming and squalling and God had to go down and change his diaper and pick him up and burp him and you know all that sort of thing. But God's first creation in the Garden of Eden was a full grown man. It was a man that was birthed into his Godship when he took the breath of life. Remember man was made to be a God in the Garden of Eden. So whenever Adam took the breath of life, there he stood with his toes down in the dirt and he was standing there lifeless. And then the Bible says, and God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Now when God breathed into him, the Hebrew word there is ruach, ruach. So God breathed, God breathed. So it was the breath of God, the spirit of God. The same thing that moved upon the face of the deep. Very same Hebrew word. So God breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life and he became a living soul. So you imagine he's standing there like a tree, no life, his eyes aren't batting, he's just a hunk of clay. So all the sinew, the cells, the tissues, the blood, all that is there and then when God breathes into him, he becomes a living soul. So it goes from being a dead, dry clay statue to becoming a living God, just like that. And God breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. So with that breath of life comes the knowledge of God. With that breath of life come every potential of everything he could ever be. Unlike you and I, when we receive the Holy Ghost, we have to start growing and learning, growing and learning. Adam did not have to learn. Adam did not have to learn how to become a God in this kingdom. He did not have to learn how to shun this and that and the other. The image of God was breathed into him by the breath of God. You see, when a person then goes beyond this veil of time here, and whenever many of our loved ones are going and we say, oh, it's so, it's so awful. They, they, was, they was in so much pain and we, we know we've been there. We've seen all of that. But don't you understand what's happening when they're leaving here? They're being burst into that other world. They're being burst into that other world and the birth pains of death are coming around them. And maybe they have to have, you know, something to help ease the pain. Don't you see what it is? To us, it's so sad and it's so sorrowful. But the Bible says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. He's looking at it from that other dimension and we're saying, oh, it breaks my heart, it breaks my heart. But he's saying, come on home, daughter of God. Come on home, son of God. And they're being burst into that other realm and there they lay, oh my. And the life leaves their body in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. They're moved beyond this mortal veil and they are burst into that body. Hallelujah, that Paul said that in 2 Corinthians, oh, that there is a house there that will was prepared for us when? Before the foundation of the world. When they are burst into that, think of it in that theophany, they know all things. 
What is it? They are burst into that expression of what we bypass to come here to be tempted as a mortal. And they move into that realm. Oh, I wonder what they're doing there today. Well, I can tell you a little bit about what they're doing. They ain't got no watch on their horn because they ain't got no place to be. They're not going anywhere for lunch because they don't eat. They ain't got no beds because they don't lay down. They ain't got no doctor's office because they don't get sick. They ain't got no dentist office because they got eternal teeth. Hallelujah. They ain't got no worries. They ain't got no troubles. They ain't got no handkerchiefs used for crying because they don't cry. They ain't got no Tylenol for headaches because they don't have no headaches. They ain't got no worries. Oh, I wish somebody would preach with me this morning. They're not down. They ain't got no pills to have to take when they're depressed because they don't have no depression. They ain't got no uppers and no downers and no inners and no outers because every moment there is eternal happiness, eternal joy, eternal peace in the presence of God. Hallelujah. They have entered into that word form body. So what is it? It's a land. It's a real sphere. It's a dimension. It's a land of perfect love. Perfect love. You see, when the soul becomes into this realm of perfect love, then the body becomes subject more to the imminent force of that love from the soul. You see, love will cast out then this dominating fear that we're all born with. Why is it that your reflexes are made to within three quarters of a second? That if a car stops in front of you, somebody makes up, they're gonna uh, make up their mind, they're gonna stop, they hit their brakes, and three quarters of a second, you will react. Now, aren't you glad that God knew that there would be cars? Aren't you glad God didn't make our reaction time two and a half minutes? Most of us wouldn't be here today, would we? We'd be pushing up daisies somewhere. But God made the reaction time in the natural. Now we've got what we call fight or flight. So whenever we are in a situation and we can sense danger and harm, perfect love does not take that out of us. It leaves it there. So whenever you go out of church and say, well, somebody pulled in front of me and I laid on the horn. Oh, look, I must not have perfect love. No, you're just trying to protect yourself from being hit by that car that was going to sideswipe you. Perfect love does not take that out. The change of your home place will when you move beyond the land of cars and trucks. Perfect love, though, will take out the fear of death. I've stood by the bedside of many saints. I've buried over a hundred and some people since I've been here as the pastor of this church. So I've been, I've had to experience more than my share of death. Other than me, I mean. <laughs> I hope I don't have to experience it myself. I'm kind of hoping I'll be one of them that'll be alive and change. And I've seen the deaths of many saints of God. I've never seen one that was scared. I've seen them young and old. I've never seen one that was terrified of dying. Why? Love had reached its maturity. Oh my. 
It doesn't cast out a fear that you're 39,000 feet in the air. You're in a Boeing 777. You're going 656 miles in air. There's not a cloud in the sky. You've got a Coke in your hand and a little cracker or whatever they give you on the airplane. You know how they've reduced everything anymore. And you're just sitting there smiling like a possum. You're having the best time of your life. And all of a sudden that plane goes And of course you got perfect love and you just sit there. That didn't bother me. Well pray for me because it still does. You see, perfect love does not take out all fear, but the fear that has torment. Some of you are afraid to do what God has called you to do because of the torment of failure. The torment of other people before you, well, so-and-so did this, oh, they made the office mess ever was, And that allows fear to dominate your life. You see, some fear is necessary for our well-being in humanity. But it's the painful, distressing fear that God hates to control his children. Some people live under the fear of poverty. Maybe they were poor once in their life and they're scared to death of being poor. And boy, when they go to give a dollar in the offering, you can tell which one they give because every George Washington is bald-headed as a pumpkin. (laughs) They pull his hair, plumb off the paper. The fear of loss, the fear of sickness, the fear of bereavement. You see, when God will take a person from us and we look at it and say, oh, Lord, oh, no, no. Several people have told me, oh, Brother Donnie, the Lord took Sister Erica. Well, 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 well if you take her, he could take anybody. Duh. You mean you just found that out? Well, Brother Donnie, he could take you. That's right. He certainly could. But I live every day. I'm ready every hour. If he wants to, here I am. Lord, come and get me. God don't want us to live underneath that type of fear. Somebody said, God don't want us to live under the fear of sickness. I know that old COVID devil is trying to raise its head back up among us and people are terrified of COVID. I think we need to look that devil in the face and say, get on back to hell, devil. You ain't controlling my life. Turn with me to St. John 13, 34. Now watch, here's the very heart of God, not the law of God, not the justice of God, And Jesus was not just a prophet of God, but he was God the prophet, which is a great difference. So here he comes with a new covenant and a new testament, but he also adds a new commandment. Now Moses gave 10, but there's gonna be many more in the New Testament. Notice in St. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another. Now don't stop there. Now this is the way we're supposed to love one another and this is the commandment of the Lord Jesus. As I have loved you. So the new commandment in the new covenant is that we are to love one another as Jesus 
loves us. Now, how does he do that? Unconditionally. Do you want Jesus to love you when you're out of sorts? You want Jesus to love you when you're not deserving of love? You want Jesus to love you even when you mess up? Well, that's the new commandment that we're supposed to love our brothers and sisters the same way. Oh my, I guess it's fixing to get really quiet on me, ain't it? A new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Now I want you to notice this is actually going to be a badge of discipleship. This is going to be the true, the true identification of Jesus' disciples. The true identification which can never be impersonated. It's the only thing in the Bible. Tongues can be impersonated. Prophecy can be impersonated. Jumping, shouting, running. But this can never be impersonated. It's the true badge of discipleship. I mean, wants it. This command, now notice a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you. So this that he's about to leave with his church is to be the badge of discipleship that might be distinguished above every other thing. You see, false anointed ones will stand up according to Matthew chapter 24 and they'll stand before the Lord Jesus and say, I cast out devils in your name. I heal the sick in your name. I raise the dead in your name. I prophesy. Do you realize one of the greatest Old Testament prophecies speaking about the star that would rise out of Jacob and a scepter that would come, Numbers chapter 24? Do you realize one of the greatest prophecies giving of the coming of the Lord Jesus was given by a false prophet? Balaam. That man gave such a prophecy, it was absolutely astounding. And he will stand before the Lord God that day and be judged and turned into eternal separation. Prophecy is not a badge, a true badge of discipleship. Tongues. <laughs> Well, glory. You see, this had never been given before. This had never been said before. It had never been known like this. That it would be a distinguishable, one distinguishable attribute that would separate his elect from all other people on the earth. Because many people can dress like a Christian should dress but they take them clothes off and they could put on other clothes and take on another identity. So they could sing about the cross and say, I love the Lord, I wanna go to heaven. That's not the distinguishable attribute of wanting to go to heaven, but it's loving like he loves, which can only be done when he himself 
gets in our soul. Everybody understand? This is impossible for me. This is impossible for you. So let's just settle this right now. We cannot ever accomplish this on our own. There's only one way. Him be inside of us. Loving when we can't. Forgiving when we can't. Oh, praise be to God. Now notice he says, as I have loved you. Let's read again if you would in St. John chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another. Notice again, Jesus says the same thing. As I have loved you. Now he knows Peter's gonna deny him. He knows Peter's gonna turn into a cussing preacher. He knows that all the rest of them's gonna deny him and walk away. But Jesus loved them to the end, the Bible says. So he knew what they were gonna do. They was gonna turn away from him. They was gonna leave him to die alone and yet he loved them the same. Boy, this is hard for us, isn't it? Can we love people that talk about us and run us down and cause all types of injury to us personally? One, two, three, four. Boy, them hands are getting fewer and fewer. Notice this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Verse 17. These things I command. Now remember, these are not options. These are commands. Now we're talking about rapturing material. These things I command you that ye love one another. Now, as I said as my opening remarks, that so many quote John 3, 16. But don't raise your hands, but I wonder how many of you even know by memory what 1 John 3, 16 even says. Wonder why. Wonder why we know John 3, 16 but we're not near as familiar with 1 John 3.16. Well, in one way, it's quite simple. John 3.16 is what he did. 1 John 3.16 is what he does in us. So it puts us under the gun. Shall we read it? Whosoever, watch in verse 15 there. I love the way John contrasts this. When you get time, maybe this evening, Maybe read all of chapter three and you'll find that, God, that John sets the contrast up of Cain and Abel. And he gives the example of Cain, how that Cain hated his brother, of course, and killed him. And then he sets up the contrast of a person that says they love versus one that really does love. And verse 15, he said, whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. First John 3, 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God. Now look at the Greek word here, perceive. In the perfect tense, ginoske, in the perfect sense, the word speaks of knowledge gained 
by experience. So it's not just reading, 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 memorizing, 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 and committing it to memory and quoting, 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 and then that's, that, that's not knowledge. No, it's a knowledge that you gain by experiencing something. So John says, for those of us who have experience, herein perceive we the love of God. Because he laid down his life for us. So the saints have experienced the love of God in that he laid down his life for them. Now it's a two-faced experience. Then if you've really experienced that, then part two of verse 16 will be in your soul to want to give expression to that love and this is the way the love of God continues on. So they've become the recipients of salvation. This imparts to them a divine knowledge by experience. Now notice what John goes on to say. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives. Wow. For the brethren. So I have to be honest with you, friends. I I don't understand any Christian that likes to persecute people. I I don't understand anybody that likes to persecute saints of God and make make life harder for them. Do you? I, I don't understand that. I don't understand anyone who could claim to be a Christian and get something out of posting things on Facebook or whatever they would do to make life harder for another individual. I don't understand that. That is not 1 John 3.16. Now notice John catches this. Now remember being the disciple of love and reading this and studying this, I couldn't keep from wondering about Peter, what Peter must have thought when he read this verse. And I wonder Peter wouldn't say like some of us, Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Now, Peter's faith was great to heal the sick. John's was great to set the church in order, and he was hope. James, brother. But you imagine when John was sitting there in the Spirit of God, and this is written about the time of the book of Revelation, 90 AD. So it was written around the time that the great revelations are unfolding to John. So with this revelation, John moves into this sphere of love that he had never experienced before. You imagine what would make a man. This is the very same man who wrote down John 3:16. That's right. Amen. The very same man. But something had happened to John after John 3:16. And after it happened to John, John could write 1 John 3.16. Because John 3.16, God had so given his love that John could say, I have experienced that. I believe there's many people today that can say the same thing. How many can say with the reality, I also am 1 John 3.16. Okay, we're going to make an altar call for the rest of it. I'm going to cancel lunch and pray for you. Now, notice how he contrasts this between Cain. It's a stark contrast between hatred 
and real genuine love. Now, this is a love that's unfathomable. You've got to be kidding me that God would want us to love one another so much that we would be willing to lay our lives down for one another. People think love, you know, well, love your enemies. Well, what that means is I don't, I don't do nothing evil against them. No, no, that's actually not what it means. What it means is that you go out of your way to do good for people that would kill you if they could. You see, I'm moving farther and farther and farther away from the human conjecture of love to move you in into a realm of total impossibility without divine intervention. Look, friends, I don't care how much you run, how much you speak in tongues, how much you shout, how much you heal the sick. You can give millions of dollars to the poor. But if you don't have this, you will never, listen to me, you will never go in the rapture. This is rapture status. God help us. Can I go have a few more minutes? For what are you going to give me a few more minutes? Okay, I'll take that. Paul in Romans 16, 13. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers, in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks. So here were people that were expressing 1 John 3, 16 before it was ever written. You see, when Paul writes the book of Romans, you're around 55 AD, 60, something like that. Aquila and Priscilla were living this manifestation before John ever even wrote it in 1 John. So you see, this is why the Bible says that ye are living and written epistles, read and known of all men. So what are we doing? We're simply catching up with that which has been written for us. But with them, God was simply letting the writing catching up with the manifestation in the flesh. (laughs) Woo! Boy, that went over the top of your head. They were living it before it was even written. So they were giving their lives. Now we don't know exactly the instance because we don't know all the examples and things that Paul went through as far as persecution and so on. But apparently Aquila and Priscilla, which were husband and wife, and all the Jews were banned out of Rome, of course, under the reign of Claudius the emperor. And they had given, he he literally used it as if though they had laid their necks down. And this is a symbolism of of a metaphor that would say, you know, a metaphor in our day, that they literally laid their necks down on the chopping block for their heads to be cut off for this man of God. John 3.16 had become so personified And these Christians, they were willing to give their necks to save this man of God. I find that so strange because many will give their souls in eternal separation to try to bring down every man of God they can. 
That's the difference in hatred and love. There are people who study men. There are people who listen to our prophet's message every day. They listen to try to find fault. They try to find this and that and the other so they can be able to post it on their site and do this and that. Don't they understand? Apparently not. That one day they will stand before the judgment seat and give an account. Many of them spend more time since they've left than they did while they were in it. Had they ate what they were listening to and become it, their end might have been different. Oh, but when the love of God so grabs a hold of a predestinated seed, remember I ain't talking about everybody that professes Christianity. I ain't even talking about everybody that has the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Question answered, Brother Branham, will every born again Christian go in the rapture? No, my brother, sister, they will not. Only the elect. So this watered down gospel that's been preached around the world, not only around the world, but even some of our message preachers are preaching it. Well, you can belong to this denomination and that denomination, whatever more, and be in the rapture. That is an absolute lie straight from the pits of hell. I said straight from the pits of hell, why in the world did we need a message in the end time to call us out and wash us from that filth of those prostitutes if we can stay in there and have rapturing faith? Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. I want hell to know where we stand today on the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, the test of real discipleship is not just refusing to do someone harm, which is where many of us hide. We just refuse to do them harm. That's not it. It's actually looking for an opportunity when you can do them good. You say, where do you do, where do you get that at? I see it every day in this world we live in. What if the Lord Jesus, within the next five minutes, stops every human being from breathing his created air that he gives them freely? And he will only let those filled with the Holy Ghost breathe his air. You're talking about a mass burial. What if the Lord stops sending rain? Before long, spring will be around. Summer will be around. We'll start planting our seeds, our gardens, and so on. And God says, I'll tell you what I ain't going to do. I ain't giving no more of you bunch of sinners my rain. I'm only gonna get my children rain. I ain't even gonna give y'all no more sun. I'm gonna start creating the sun in such a way that the sun will only shine on my children. But Jesus said the sun shines on and the rain on the just and the unjust. They don't even thank him for it. How many of them had Thanksgiving dinner? Did they even pray? Did they even bow their head and say thank God but they celebrated it with wine? Come on, here we are, the last day of the year. What will a lot of them do? Will a lot of them say, Lord, thank you for another year. They'll be drunk on a bunch of monkeys by in the morning and they'll get up with a headache and a hangover. Come on, somebody. But you know what? If you're a child of God, you say, Lord, thank you for what you helped us through in 23. May we be better Christians in 24. May we give our lives. So he does good to those that hate him. Scientists that say there is no God 
and he gives them oxygen to breathe. Because he loves humanity. I just read this week, the Lord God allowed science to break into an enzyme in the core of pineapple. And would you listen to this? And by research, he let them find that enzyme, bromelain, and they started using it on burn victims. Now, up to this time, a burn victim, they would have to go into the epidermis and all them different layers of skin and get down to where the skin would actually bleed. But what they found was they could extract this bromelain from a core of a pineapple and put that on burned skin and within four hours, every bit of that burned skin is totally dissolved. Of course, man will take credit for it. Well, was man the one who put it in the core of the pineapple? God in his mercy let man find what he already put inside of there. Now, maybe that might not mean much to you because most of us ain't never been burned, but I guarantee you one thing, those that have been burned, many of them will be spared from this time on of having to go through one surgery after another, after another. Why? The grace of God let them break into his laboratory. I praise God for that myself. I thank God for every one of those things they can find. But remember, they never made that. It was not them that put it there. God put it there. That's why the prophet prayed. Every day they would find a cure for cancer. Why? Because he loved humanity. I know I've given you a lot to contemplate, but we'll be like sheep. We'll ruminate. We'll feed on it again and again and again. Let's stand. We'll pick it up again. I found this, I thought it was very interesting. Self-preservation is the first law of physical life, but self-sacrifice is the first law of spiritual life. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Any honest people here today? I know there are. They can say, Lord, I need more of this. I need more. Love is greater than healing. Love is greater than emotion. It's the most powerful force that's ever been given to the world. Love. For myself, as we come to the close of this year, this year, my, what a year it has been. I'm so glad at the beginning of this year I did not look down through 23 and see all the things we were gonna go through. I did not have a clue at the beginning of 23 that my little daughter will be taken from us. I didn't have a clue that many that have set among us will be taken from us. Many of the things you've been through, you probably thought, oh my, 
I'm so glad I didn't know it was gonna happen. I understand. I'm glad I can't look into 24 because I'd probably be scared to death when you, you think, oh my goodness, what's coming, what's coming? But God don't want us to live under that captivating, paralyzing fear. I'm glad I cannot see in the future myself. I just have enough light to walk day by day by day. Thank God for it. Can we bow our heads? Now, with sincerity from your heart, I want to ask you, how many of you said, Lord, I'm being honest before you today. I need more of what I heard preached. I don't want to just, just refuse to do bad against people, but I want to look for opportunities of good. I thank you I'm a recipient of the grace of God, but I also want to be the manifestation of 1 John 3.16. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We're going to pray. I just had this request given to me. Pray for Brother Matthew Carraway and Sister Shavon. They both have been here in service today, but both of them have been sick all during the service. Let's pray for them right now as well. Father, we come before you as children. Children that we realize without your love and your mercy in our hearts, we'll never be able to attain to this great, great love. It seems almost unfathomable in our minds that a human being could get to a spot that they would do this and not do it because of legalism, but do it because You are so in their souls. They want to do it. I'm sure there's people in this building, if it was between me and them dying, if a man walked in this building today with a gun and said, I'm going to shoot one of you, there's brothers in here that I know that love me so much. They'd say, no, take me. Let him live. He's a blessing to so many people. Don't take him. Take me. I know they would. I don't know how many people, sisters, that would tell Erica, Sister Erica, I would gladly give my life and let you live. Brother told me the other day his wife had said, she was an older lady and said, I I would give my life to let Sister Erica live. Well, the younger sisters even of our church said it. I would gladly give my life. So Sister Erica could live. That's a great love. But Father, they didn't have to do that. You gave yours so she could live. And she does. She does live. But it does our hearts good to hear, Lord, that we can enter into this land of perfect love. That we would be willing to lay down our lives for one another. Oh, what a reward that Aquila and Priscilla will receive that day. Whatever the instance was that they had put their lives in jeopardy. Lord, what a reward it will be for men of God who have jeopardized their lives preaching the gospel. 
or some of the brothers that went into the jungles of Africa and India and the Philippines risked their lives. I know some of the missionary brothers in Africa have went among the headhunters. They still have headhunters alive today and risked their lives to introduce them to the Lord Jesus. They risked their lives to preach the truth. Brothers that have gone in to China, into Vietnam, into places where it's illegal to preach the gospel, having stood there in China myself several times and knowing I risk being arrested every time I went. But seeing those saints, that hunger in their hearts, seeing their faith so simple. Lord, I don't know that I'll ever forget that sister in that hotel room that night, Lord. They pushed her in in a wheelchair. She couldn't walk. But after prayer was made and at the end of the service, she pushed her wheelchair out of the room. Hallelujah. Because you're still the same yesterday, today, and forever. We love to see you manifest yourself that way, Lord. But we're asking you today for something even greater than the lame walking. We're asking you for something greater, Lord. We've seen you heal the sick. We saw you right here just a few minutes ago, Lord. Raise a sister that had stopped breathing. We saw you give her life. But Father, today we're standing here as your needy children, asking for something greater than the lame walking, the blind seeing, asking that we would move into that land of perfect love where we could forgive those that hate us, those that have brought us so much sorrow and pain. Lord, I know for me, my greatest hurts, it's not been among the world, sinners, My greatest hurts down through the years have been among Christians. The greatest wounds of my heart, as Carol told me not long ago, she said, I feel so sorry for you. So I can't imagine the scars that's on your poor heart. The wounds on my heart, as is these people here, It's not been brought by drunks and thieves and robbers, but Christians, preachers, believers. But I thank you, Lord God, we can come to a place that we have no alt in our heart. Lord Jesus, I thank you this morning, Father, that as believers, we from that depth of our soul can say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. We need more, Jesus. We need more. I need more of you. That's the way it's got to be. I need more of you. Oh, till there's 
in me. All those wasted hours and minutes, they're yours now. From the start to the finish, I need more of you in me. Oh, I need more of you. Oh, that's the way it's got to be. I need more of you Till there's no room left in me All those wasted hours and minutes They're yours now From the start to the finish I need more of you in me. Oh, I need more of you. That's the way it's got to be. Oh, I need more. start to the finish I need more of you in me Lord I give you my heart I give you my soul I live for Every moment I'm awake, Lord, have your way in me, Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my soul, I live for you alone, every breath that I take. Every moment I'm awake, Lord, have your way in me. Oh, this is my desire to All I 
taken by the hand. If the Lord tarries, tomorrow will be beginning, of course, not only of a new month, but of a new year. I hope with all of my heart it's the year of the coming of the Lord. But if not, we want to be faithful during this year, don't we? No matter what comes before us, the difficulties that may arise and whatever we may face, we want to be faithful. But we also want to expect great things from our Lord. So as we come to the close of the service, Let's just pray together. We'll pray for one another. We'll pray for our church family. We have many that are sick and needy, of course, and people around the world that are, are very, very needy as well. So you're not praying for yourself now, but you're going to pray for that person standing by you. Heavenly Father, as we come to the close of this service, the last day of this year, tomorrow will begin a new month and a new year. Lord, I'm grateful to you for all your blessings, all that you've done for us. You've kept us in 23. Lord, there's no way that we would have been able to realize and absorb at all what we would go through in 23. The things that's happened to the world, that's happened to our nation, Lord, that are happening all around us every day. The darkness is permeating everywhere we look, Lord. It's getting darker and darker and darker. No doubt 24 will be darker than 23. But Lord Jesus, we want to be closer to you than we've ever been before. I desire to be a more consecrated pastor. I desire, Father, to be more in love with you. 
Lord, I know if I fall in love with you more, I will love your people greater. Oh, Jesus, I want to give my life. Oh, all I have left for your cause. I gave you my 20s, my 30s, my 40s, my 50s, and I'm well up into my 60s. Whatever I've got left, I want to give to you, to your purpose, to your kingdom. Not what can I get, not what can I be, not what can people do for me, what can I get out of this world, but what can I give, Lord? What can I do? Oh, Lord God, help me, I pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for our church family. Lord, so many of them have been through so many things this year, but your grace has been sufficient. I don't think there's a person that could stand here today and look back on 23 and ever say one time that you failed them or you forgot about them or you forsook them. But we can all say his grace has been sufficient. And we believe whatever this new year holds that you will be sufficient for us, Lord. Will you keep us by your grace? Father, bring in our family. Oh, Lord God, may you deal with every one of your seed children whose name is on that Lamb's book of life. May you call them, Lord. If they're in New Zealand, if they're in Australia, if they're in Africa, if they're in India, wherever they are around the world, or it might be some homeless person on the streets of Johnson City, Lord God, bring them in so we can leave this place. Grant it, Lord. Every person here among us that doesn't have the baptism of the Holy Ghost, may this be the year of their filling, Lord. If there's any that's got grudges and hard feelings in their heart, may this be the year of their deliverance, Lord. Whatever we have need of, O oh Lord, we believe that you have it for us, Father. We commit our lives and the year, O oh Lord Jesus, to you. We thank you, Father. Go with us now, Lord. As we go our separate ways, bring us back at the appointed time, Father. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. And the saints of God said, God bless you, saints. I love you in the Lord. Appreciate you so much. Carol and I want to thank you for all the nice cards that you gave us over the holidays and gift cards and pictures of you and your family and um, fruit and chocolate. And I don't know why you folks just keep sending me chocolate. I mean, y'all think I have a chocolate problem or something like that? But, but we appreciate it so much. It means so much to us. We love you with all of our hearts. Go in the fear of God. God bless you. And it'd be good to be in the house of the Lord today. <clears throat> oh, Lord, send the rain. Pour out your spirit. Let the fire fall. Heal us one and all. Fall fresh on me. Oh, Lord, send the rain. Oh, pour out your spirit. Let the fire fall. Heal us one and all. Fall fresh on me. Oh, Lord, send the rain. Oh, pour out your spirit. Let the fire fall. Heal us one and all, fall fresh on me. Oh, Lord, send the rain. Oh, pour out your spirit. Let the 
fireball, heal us one and all, fall fresh on me. ourselves now as we pray, oh, renouncing every sin and wicked way, oh, we lift our voice, seek your face and say, Lord, send the Fireball, heal us one and all, fall fresh on me. Oh Lord, send the rain. Oh, pour out your spirit. Let the fire fall, heal us one and all, fall fresh on me. now as we pray oh renouncing every sin and wicked way oh we lift our voice seek your face and say Lord send the rain Pour out your spirit, let the fire fall, heal us one and all, fall fresh on me, oh Lord. 